Hey, everybody, go ahead and grab a seat. Grab a seat. In case we've not met, my name is John, and I'm excited to share with you guys. I've missed you guys. In case you are new with us, um, I've been on sabbatical. And so I am allowed to share about my sabbatical. I am not allowed to teach. There are no slides. I did not prepare. I prepared for 20 minutes, and that's it. And so uh, what my assignment is to, is to share with you what has been going on in my life and in the sabbatical. So, you know, my story really needs to begin back when I became a Christian. On a mountaintop in Colorado, through a ministry called Young Life, something was shared with me about Jesus and about sin and about salvation that changed my life. I found myself that evening praying, sobbing, muttering, I don't know, God, I believe that you sent your son and you died for me. And before I could finish saying what I wanted to say to God, I felt overwhelmed that God had touched me and changed me. So my story really begins with me feeling like something had been revealed to me that the world didn't know. Like, because I was not brought up in a Christian home, I wasn't brought up with Christianity, I didn't know the Bible. When I became a Christian, my perspective on life was that, man, Everyone I know, all of my friends are not Christians, and I want to reach them. I want to change this world. Let's go. And that part of my personality or part of my experience is actually a big part of what put me on sabbatical. So uh, back in May, I began to realize, uh, let, me, let me just pause, first of all, and uh, thank all of you for letting me go on sabbatical. I want to thank the leadership team. I want to thank the leadership team of H2O for valuing emotional health, which enabled me. And they keep me, do not work. You're not allowed to work. We know you're secretly working. Stop it. And so uh, I want to thank you guys for that. Uh, I also want to thank my wife because she's been working full time this whole time. And it's been really cool for us, you know, because I decided early on, it's like, I'm going to devote every evening to my wife. So my wife and I hang out literally every single evening for the past four months. Yeah, oh, it's been great. I'm happy. That's it. So I found myself in May without knowing what was going on. My heart had become very messy. And uh, I think the first sign was I, I stopped sleeping. I just was not sleeping. And I, I didn't, I'm usually pretty sensitive and, and understanding what's going on in my heart, and, but there were things that I was not able to put my, my finger on. And I knew something wasn't right, and so I went into a counselor's office. If you are new with us, we believe that there should not be a stigma with saying, I actually need help because actually I needed help. And um, I found myself, as I began to speak, I just fell apart and sobbed. I just sobbed. 
because my heart had become so messy and so heavy and so burdened. You know the song we sang earlier, uh, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Yeah, that was not what was going on with me. I wasn't feeling it. And so I went into the counselor's office, and one of the things I, I, there's a lot of things I've learned, okay, over the past four months. Uh, I learned that I kind of suck at creating boundaries, and that my tendency is to take everything, literally everything, onto my back and feel responsible for absolutely everything that happens through our church. I also realized that I was angry at God. And I thought about, did I, do I want to share this or not? And the reason I chose to share this with you is that I think the big lie that is sometimes experienced in Christianity is that we're not allowed to be disappointed in God. I mean, we sing songs. If you look at the lyrics of some of our songs, I forget the exact phrasing. It's something like, I know you're never going to let me down. Is that something like that? I'm going to let Yeah, that's it. Thank you, Jesse. That's enough. No, no, no. There's no singing going on here. So, and I realized, you know what? God is going to disappoint all of us. Ultimately, when we are with him, he will make sense of our lives. And so ultimately, we will not. But in the here and now, in a broken and fallen world, life is disappointing and it hurts. And people you know and you care about are hurt. And it's just disappointing. And I was angry about that. So there's a lot of things that God began to do. One of the first things, and maybe the best thing I've done in this sabbatical, no, second best. Um, this is a walk through the woods, okay? Let me just say this, is that I have no notes, wasn't allowed to prepare, and the way my mind works, we're just going on tangents all over the place. So just some background music about pastors. Uh, past, pastoring is one of the hardest jobs there is, I think. And a pastor that goes and gets a seminary education, statistics tell us he lasts seven years. And by then, he's done. And we know enough about affairs and scandals and, and PKs, preacher kids, to know that the job tends to take over everything. So let me just say something to us all as a church. I want to encourage you to take into your heart to be more supportive to your leadership team. And I mean myself, Jim, Steve, and Allison. Because, yeah, that, there should be applause there. Because one of the things I experienced on sabbatical was this thing called a weekend. It's like, wow, this is so weird. I have two days, you know, because typically... It's hard to turn everything off, and your leadership team loves you and cares for you and sacrifices greatly. So, all right. So, uh, God began to move into different places in my heart. The first thing I did was I just stopped working and just began to rest, and I just did nothing for like two weeks. So, if you can picture me sitting on the couch eating food and, and clicking on different football games, you know, that's, that's about all that was going on. And it was like, metaphorically, I was laying down on a bed, 
But then the bed began to roll. And I realized this is not a bed. This is a gurney. I'm being taken into heart surgery. Because God began to put his finger on things in my life and to deal with me, me in a very deep, deep way. So one of the things uh, I, I've done, I've done a lot of prayer and, and fasting. People have offered me different opportunities. Uh, a friend gave me a condo and said, just go, you know, use my condo. And so I just go and seek after God. And that was wonderful. But there's one experience that kind of summarizes the main thing that God taught me. It's a long story, so buckle your seatbelts here. Um, a few of you have heard this. Most of you have not. So I was invited to go with a, a bunch of guys, five guys actually, a small bunch, out to Colorado. And we were going to spend five days on the top of a mountain praying and seeking God. So I got picked up in Denver. The five of us are in this vehicle, and we're driving through the Rocky Mountains. You guys ever been? You know what a mountain is, right? And the Rocky Mountains, really high, and there's no guardrails. And the guy driving the car was the sort of guy that kept looking back the whole time, wanting to be part of the conversation. And when it was his turn to talk, he would use his hands. At one point, he used both of his hands, and I took his hands and put them back on the wheel. It's like... No, don't. So we have this five-hour drive, and we get to uh, Gunnison, I think was the name of the little town. And from there, we were going to launch out into the woods. Before we got to Gunnison, our, our van died. And at this point, it's like, okay, what, what's, what's going to happen here? So we got a rental car, and we took the rental car, and we're driving 14 miles to the trailhead. And the rental car dies. At this point, only those of you that are older are going to get this joke, okay? But at this point, I thought I heard the banjo music to deliverance starting. It's like, this is not going well. So the, one of the belts on, on the rental car kept falling off. And we put it back on and we get a little bit further. So we're not even to the trailhead yet. We've had two cars die it is now 9.30 at night. We are out of cell phone range. And we're like, uh, and, and then it began to rain. It's like, is this a joke? I mean, come on, what are you doing here? And so our choice at this point, we can either set up camp in the rain and in the mud, or we can sleep in the car. So uh, I, I, at this point, it's like, that's not a big deal. I'm in the back seat all by myself. I get to stretch out. And I looked at the dude that was in the front seat, and he is 6'8". And I, I hate this. <laughs> that's too strong. Um, my conscience was like, um, hey, do you want to switch? You take the back, and I'll sit in the front. And so we did that. And I realized it's like I am not going to sleep at all. And um, I've had many long nights, and that was the longest night of my life because I did not sleep. I counted the, uh, when I would fall asleep, I would look at my watch, and, I would, and it was 40 minutes of sleep. So it was like, that was really rugged. So we began our hike in the wilderness with an all-nighter. And we were told that some of the days that we were going to be in Colorado, we were fasting. I misunderstood which days we were to be fasting. So on this huge hike up 
this mountain, I'm going without food after pulling an all-nighter. So the, the guide uh, who I, I, I don't want to name, but I kind of do. His name is Daryl. And uh, some of us know him. And Daryl is a mountain man. Daryl is like, uh, so when we got up on top of the mountain, I asked Daryl, it's like, what are we going to do? Because back at the trailhead, we have a dead car. And he said, I'm going to hike out tomorrow. And then the next day, I'm going to hike back in. And then after that, I'm going to hike out with you guys. It's just an animal. It's just no... Anyway, so we begin the hike, and th this, is not, this is not the Smoky Mountains. This is not Florida. There is no accommodation to the altitude that we were at. Uh, we started at 11, 11,000, and went up to like 12,5. So that doesn't mean, you know, you guys are like, uh, it's horrible. You, your body has to accommodate to this. And so we began, and I put my backpack on. And as soon as I put it on, which is just shy of 50 pounds, which is a big backpack, and as soon as we put it on, I realized, I'm in trouble. Because <laughs> we started down the trail, and we haven't even begun to go uphill. We're just going flat, and it's like, I'm sucking wind here. These guys, uh, I, it seem like they're fine. And I realized one of them is a, the beast, Daryl. One of them lives in Colorado. The other is a leader of hikes. And the other guy is a vet who was wearing sandals. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, how, you, how can you hike a mountain in sandals? He's like, this is, this is what I always do. Just, I don't feel pain. So, so I realized I'm with a bunch of like Marines. And so we began. We get, I gotta, man, I gotta pick up this story. So we get going, and I am breathing at a very high level, and I am in pain. And after about an hour and a half into a six hour hike, I am absolutely and totally spent. I'm in pretty good shape, and I'm not gonna quit, and at this point, I want to cry. I am just, I'm, I'm so dead. And we have the two toughest maneuvers coming up. One was walking on the, through a snow patch on the side of a mountain. So thank you, Carrie, for giving me your walking sticks. Walking stick. Walking stick. Was it yours? Thank Jenny. So we get halfway across this snow patch, and I begin to get the green and black dots that say, you're about to pass out. And so I stopped, and I, I had an, epip an epiphany right at that moment. I realized I literally could die here in the next 10 minutes. And so it's like, God, I don't want to die yet, and so, you know, help me. It was a really theologically deep prayer. So we get through that snow patch, and the next thing is straight up the mountaintop. And I'm looking at this. And it's like, there is absolutely no way I can do this. And Daryl looks at me, and he gives me some good advice, actually. He says, don't look at the top. Put your head down. Look at your feet. Take 10 steps and stop and rest. And so the thing I want to impress upon you is my heart rate and my breathing was at its, you know when you do like a Stairmaster, anyone, if you do a stair, and you, you get to this point where it's like, 
I'm at maximum output, six hours. And so we finally made it, end of the story there for part one of uh, my Colorado climbing. So we got to the top of the mountain and we had three days of fasting and, uh, and that is a whole nother story that we don't have time for. I didn't hear any audible voices. The main way that God speaks to people is through words. Words usually found in the Bible. And as I began to read the scripture, it's like God was carrying on this conversation with me. And the conversation was something like this. Do you remember what you used to be like? Do you remember when you first met me? Do you remember how bold and unashamed and adventurous and free you felt? I want you to go back and find that young man and be him once again. There's a lot of scripture behind this, 2 Corinthians 11:3. Paul says, I'm afraid that, less, that as Satan tempted Eve, that you too would be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Jesus. You know, it's really easy to get lost. Can I just say that? Can we just sit in this for a minute? It's really easy as a Christian to get lost. It's really easy to get lost in your pain, to get lost in your confusion. God, what are you doing? It's really easy to get lost in theology or doctrine or even in community and to lose our vision of Jesus. Main scripture, I think that uh, there's actually a lot, but uh, one of them was uh, Revelation 2, 4, and 5, where Jesus speaks to a church, church at Ephesus, which is a great church doing wonderful things, and he says, but you have left your first love. I remember um, talking with this girl as a new believer, and she said that she was an atheist, and and I said, that's great. Let's talk about it. Can I, you mind if I ask you why you're an atheist? Can we dialogue a little bit on that? And so it was about a year ago, she texted me and said, hey, I just wanted to fill in the rest of the story here. Like, I love Jesus. Thank you for what you shared with me. Like, right away as a Christian, there was a, a boldness and an adventuresome part of me. I think I've shared this, but me and my buddy wrote like 15 songs, and we, we did a coffee house. He could sing, and I could not. And so I picked up a 12-string, and I learned three chords. And Dave, we'd go to the coffee house, and Dave would sing, and I'd be in the background. Brang! <laughs> and about a minute later, one more chord, and uh, then he'd finish singing, and I'd talk to people about Jesus. It's just like, let's just go do something. I want to go tell people. And, and so they're on the mountain, and this is the main thing. I think the Lord told me, you're a lot better at opening up your hands to love on people than you are at opening up your hands and receiving from me. 
You're a lot better at leading than you are at following. You're a lot better at doing than just being my son. And that's what I want to bring you back to. And so that, by the way, like this is not, I'm not finished here. There's still work to be done. Please pray for me on that. So had a great experience there on the top of the mountain. Um, I don't know how many of you have read or heard of this uh, devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. It's by a man named Oswald Chambers, who's a dead English guy, because everyone who has written anything is a dead English guy. And uh, page after page in this devotional, it says something like this. Why are you worried about your future? That's none of your business. Why are you worried about growing your church? That's none of your business. It's like a, a refrain echoing through my mind. This stop thinking about, stop worrying, stop all of that. Lay that down. You know when Jesus said, do not be anxious, do not worry about your life? I read that, and it's like, I'm a pastor. How can I possibly do what you're telling me to do, to not worry? And yet, that's what he was saying. Now, I'm a slow learner, and so sometimes God uses visual aids, life experiences. And it's like, okay, I'm afraid you're going to miss this, so I'm going to make this so obvious to you, and, and I'm going to try to open your eyes here. So here's what happened. I'm thinking about how to get off this mountain. I have barely made it up, right? Like, I almost died. What am I going to do? And um, I, I'm tempted to, like, turn off the recording here, but I, 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 I think we're okay. I thought, this is life or death. I just got to throw stuff off this mountain. I know it's probably against the law, but, I, hey, I got to get down. So I packed. I, I took my day pack and filled it with everything I could, and I threw it off the mountain, which is a lesson for me right there. I think that there's something to think about. But anyway, so I'm kind of looking forward to the trip back because now I have accommodated to the altitude and, and I've lightened my pack by 7, 10 pounds. Like, this is going to be good. Most of the walk is down the mountain, right? So I'm so encouraged. I, I was just almost a little, maybe even giddy. So we begin our, our walk down, and for about a, a, an hour and a half, again, a six-mile hike, I'm doing fine. And then it's like I hit this wall, and I just cannot hydrate enough. I'll drink water, and within five minutes, my mouth is absolutely parched. I have nothing in me, and I'm breathing heavy again. And I, I say to one of my buddies, hey, Zach, can you just keep an eye on me? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a good place. Now, a little background. Everyone has a pack on their back, okay? So picture this, big pack, big packs. And we're all pushing along. I share with Zach, keep an eye on me. And Zach says, stop. Walks in front of me, takes the pack off my back and puts it on his chest. He now is wearing two packs at 12,000 feet, does not say a word to me, and just starts walking. 
And I'm looking at this and going, oh, my goodness. I wanted to just cry. <laughs> I felt like this is the most loving thing. This is unbelievable. And let me tell you, Zach didn't go five minutes. He went like an hour carrying two packs. It was unbelievable. So as we're walking along, I feel, and again, uh, I want to be careful with how I describe this. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to kind of tug on our hearts. And when we're sensitive, I've, I've learned that the Holy Spirit speaks softly enough that you have to listen. But if you do listen, you, you, can, you can hear his voice. You can hear what he's trying to impress upon you. There are other times when God is not so subtle. And this was one of those times. And so after walking without my pack for an hour, we took a little break and I said, guys, I have to share something with you. The Holy Spirit for the last hour has been pressing down on my heart and I have to share with you, all my life, I have been carrying people. When my wife went down with depression, I carried her. When one of my kids was struggling, I carried them. The deepest thing I know about myself is that I'm going to show up and I'm going to do what needs to be done. And I hate with the most, the greatest amount of disdain that I can fathom, I hate the fact that someone else is carrying my pack right now. And I know that's not right. And I know that's messed up. But that is the truth of what God is impressing on my heart right now. So the hope is that I will learn, I hope you can follow the metaphor, the illustration, which translates to, John, do not carry everyone's pack. Carry your own pack, and don't be responsible for everything in the world. And God made that obvious to me, so that's, yeah, that's a good thing. So... After about an hour, I took the pack back and carried, and, and we, we finished. And um, this whole experience, like, I, I don't know what you should hear in this talk. For us as a leadership team, when I come back, we're going to meet next week, and they're going to decide when I get to come back. Um, and I trust them with that decision. We as a leadership team know that in a sense, we're kind of like a plane. We're, we're, we're still doing what our vision is. We're still loving on each other, centering our lives around the truth, and trying to reach people. But as a church, we're kind of like a plane circling a city before landing because as a leadership team, we're committed to doing this together. And so when I come back, we're going to have some revisiting of what is our vision? What are we trying to accomplish? What is God calling us to? And how can we do this, and especially me, how can we do this in a really healthy way? One of the things that God has communicated to me over time, and this has been difficult for me to hear, 
it's that I am not absolutely needed for this church or for anything. God doesn't need me. God invites me to live unleashed, to live as a son, to live free, and that's what he wants from me. And for me, it is so much easier to do for God. And yet that creates these invisible chains, chains of performance, chains of shame, chains of a false identity. And God is inviting me to drop those chains and live as his beloved, his son, all out for him. So that's my story. That's where I'm at. That's all I have to say. Carrie, come on up and give us some nice background music. Um, I want to pray for you guys. This, as you know, was not a teaching. But isn't this like a struggle we all have? Don't we get lost? Don't we create chains? Don't we forget that I'm a son, I'm a daughter of God, and he really needs nothing from me. He wants me to remember who he is and what he's done. So if I could just take a minute and pray for you. Father, I just want to thank you right now for the way you've led in this sabbatical. I thank you, Lord, for immediately reminding me that the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me besides the waters. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul. You have led me. I feel led. I feel strongly led by a shepherd that knows my future and tells me my future is none of my business. Thank you for saying hard things to me. Thank you for inviting me back to that carefree place where I felt so overwhelmed that Jesus loved me and that God took on human skin for me. Thank you for giving me space. Right now, Lord, in, in this space, you're aware of the chains that some of us are carrying. You're aware of the, the, the chains of shame and performance and false identity. aware that some of us have lost our way and our eyes maybe are not on you. And so here as we lift our voices to worship, would you move in our hearts? Would you give that gentle tug or would you press down in a strong way to remind us that there's nothing better 
There's no way to improve upon what you've done for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. That our sin has been atoned for. Words have been declared over us. I have loved you and you are mine. Would you give our spirits freedom here as we respond back to you? We invite you into this place to move in our hearts, to wrestle with our hearts, to free our hearts. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the way you have loved us. We come now to worship you in the great name of Jesus. Amen.